Hello and bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonio, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. One hour. Welcome to the Alamo Hour. Today's guest is Michael Girdley. Uh, he, he's kind of all things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit some of the points from his website, uh, his bio. He's currently chairman and co-founder of Dura Software. He's a partner at Geekdom Fund. Uh, he's been involved in co-founding and leading multiple different ventures uh, in San Antonio and around Texas. He was man of the year with San Antonio Business Journal and geek of the year with uh, Geekdom, right, in 2016. Uh, he's passionate about San Antonio's future. If you follow him on Twitter, you know uh, how much San Antonio and the future of our city matters to him. He's a perfect kind of guest to have on here. So thanks for being here. Yeah, excited. Uh, you've listened to a few of my, I mean, really compelling episodes. So yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, four actually. Yeah, Talked okay. Well, that, so, yeah. that's more than most people. <laughs> uh, and so I start a lot with just sort of some general questions about San Antonio I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any pets? Uh, we have two cats. Okay. Uh, what kind of cats? Uh, four-legged ones, like uh, alley cats. <laughs> ones we got at the, at the you know humane society. Okay. Well, some people are into like Persians or these bald oh, cats. Yeah, we're none not, of that. We're not. We're not fancy. All right. Um, favorite hidden gems in San Antonio. Oh man, um, I definitely like just the like the normal taquerias that are like all over the place. Do you have a favorite? Like, um. Man, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. They're they're all my favorite. I mean, so I had a judge on here who wouldn't give me a single restaurant she liked because she didn't want to endorse them. You know, I love I love that we have Tex Mex. To be totally frank with you, I don't really enjoy eating it that much. Okay. Yeah. So you know, when my wife and I have options to go out or we go out for dinners, like we're ending up at Bliss or Cured or, okay. or those types of places. You know, I think you know we lived in California for a while and we still brought that tastes back with us we want to eat that kind of food and have that kind of dining experience so and, we, and bliss and cure do, do it for you they're definitely fancy you know um we love going to the pearl food hall as well yeah. so we're I will be unabashedly snobby. About I like the food like hall the, now that you can just sit at your table and order on the QR code and it comes out. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that, especially Pretty during great. the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, do you have any odd hobbies other than your Twitter? Uh, uh, Twitter's definitely one. Uh, I've really gotten the past year into plane tracking. Um, so, okay. yeah, it's a really interesting hobby. The um, What's the goal of this? What do you mean, what's the goal? I mean, other than just see where planes are going. How could it not be obvious? That yeah. Well, so we live in the flight path underneath... San Antonio International. Okay. And so, um, you know, the, the runways are aligned in a way to orient towards the natural flow of air, which is either coming off the Gulf or going towards the Gulf. So we get lots of planes taking off and landing all the time. Um, and every plane that flies, whether it's general aviation, so like private planes or the commercial ones, they emit a repeater signal with their ID and location speed and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So that's not encrypted. You can actually see that however you want. Yeah. And so, you know, probably last year I got really big into it, but a couple of years ago I set up an antenna over our house and, you know, I could see planes going from, you know, from Mexico city to Frankfurt in the middle of the night and that sort of thing. And so we have a whole setup that um, just curiosity, it's just fun. Okay. It's Do fun. you look up the tail numbers and see yeah. like, is yeah. this a business plane or a personal yeah. plane? It's cool. Okay. Yeah, and it's fun. You can actually see like, you know, you'll look up certain names or certain private planes fly over 
and you can go look, okay, what address is this registered to? And then you can figure out who uh, that who that fancy okay. San Antonian was that flew over my house. I've never been on a private plane. I'd like to do it someday. But I can see the fancy people go over. The other fun thing is when you can see, like, some of the corporations in town will hold their national conventions here. And you're like, why are there 40 private jets at yeah. Inter- San Antonio International? Well, you can figure out what they're all here for. Or there's actually even more fun stuff when, like, the Final Four is here. And you see all the private jets, like, taking off one after another. Uh, right after the game ends. Like, huh. It's pretty nerdy. Yeah. And, then, and then the other weird ones that are, are super cool is there will be ones that fly over my house that are not registering. They're not sending a signal. They don't show up. So is that military? Because they're military. Huh. And a lot of times you can tell when some really big wig is going over because two fighter jets will take off first, then you'll <laughs> see right? the plane go, and then two fighter jets will go. Okay, this sounds more that. fun than originally. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's super cool. My first boss had a private plane, and the first time I rode on it, I just remember that as we were taking off, he played Flight of the Valkyries as loud as it would play, and that just... Yeah. Memory is seared into my head. And <laughs> okay. that plane was nothing but a flying cooler is what it really was. It was yeah. just tons of Miller Lite. Not the not the pilots. He wasn't flying himself. <laughs> you, yeah, I, I get, I'm going to tell you some other stories you about those experiences. You have money for a plane and all you get is Miller Lite? He was a Diet Coke Miller Lite guy. Well, okay. You know, he, he knew you, what he liked. Whatever makes you happy. Yeah. Um, so you, we'll talk about it in a second, but you have a history uh, as a CEO of Alamo Fireworks. Yep. I, too, as a very young uh, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, two 12-year-old boy worked at a fireworks stand. Did you have a favorite firework? Uh, yeah, whichever one was the easiest to sell. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, you know, there are, the actual, my favorite as a business person is there's these assortments that are already assembled. Sure. Somebody walks up, they give you their money, mm-hmm. say, here's your assortment. They walk away happy. You walk away with their money. You move on to the next okay. customer. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up running those fireworks stands. That's how I learned a lot about business, a lot about people. Sure. Um, and they're actually, you know, running a fireworks stand, you do it as a partnership with the company. So the people that run those aren't actually our employees. They're independent contractors. They get paid on commission. They have an investment in running those. Stands. But that's for like Alamo Fireworks, for right? Alamo, yeah, okay. for our company. And, uh, you know, it's a great way when I was 18, 19 years old to learn kind of the fundamentals. You have to learn how to staff your thing. You have to learn how to merchandise it. You have to deal with personality yeah. issues on customers. And you employees. have to stay there overnight, right? And you have to sleep there. So yeah. you have to develop resources. You have to develop yeah. grit to do that because nobody sets up the fireworks seasons oh. during the nice time of the year. You're either hot as hell, freezing your butt yeah. off around new year's or cooking in a camper uh, around the 4th of July. You didn't get one of the big air conditioned, uh, you know, steel buildings. Uh, we did not, they were not legal at the time. Okay. They couldn't be permanent, right? Yeah. Okay. So those came around around only in the late nineties, early two thousands. By then I'd already moved on. Was it still 10 days, uh, the whole time you were there 10 days before Mm -hmm. both holidays? Yeah. Yeah. 10, 12 days. So the one I worked at was independently owned and he had to order himself. So we had to write down what to order. And I just remember it was like a 10 times markup or something on all the stuff. Yeah. It's not, it's not quite that good. Yeah. Um, you know, people talk about, well, I mean, these fireworks are so expensive or whatever. And well, first of all, like in the past couple of years, all the Chinese and supply chain problems have hit the fireworks mm. industry huge. So, okay. Last know. time I went, it seemed kind of barren and I didn't know if that was just a crappy fireworks stand or uh, what. It may depend on who you went to or which companies you went to or when you went because they're designed to kind of run out of fireworks yeah. on the big days because we don't get to sell anything again for six months right. after. Um, also a lot of the uh, competitors had supply chain problems over the mm. past few years. So um, we did a pretty good job of navigating that, but some people didn't. Right. Um, so. so you're out of it entirely now? Uh, I don't work in the business, but I work on it a lot. Um, so we have a great team running the business. My brother and I 
you know, are very much involved in it. Okay. Uh, I couldn't um, tell. Is it, a, it was a family thing? Yep. Yeah. All started right. by my great grandfather, cool. uh, incorporated formally in 1962. Uh, my dad worked in it for 35 years or so. Wow. We've been in San Antonio area for ever since just bear since County. I uh, know we're all over the state. Oh. So a couple hundred locations. Um, we just passed our 32nd, 33rd indoor store. Um, we have a location in Nevada, one in New Mexico, uh, and then we go as far west as El Paso, as far north as Amarillo, and then down in the valley. What in are the Houston. big, what do you do with the big buildings in the off times, the other 345 days a year? Yeah, they mostly sit dormant. Is that right? They're yeah. not used for storage or something? Yeah. Yeah, they just mostly sit dormant. Huh. You know, you might leave leftover merchandise there for the next time, but I mean, the way those locations are set up, where they are, there's really not other businesses that make sense to be in there. We, we did Halloween for a while. Um, Amazon kind of destroyed that business. Oh, yeah. Um, so if, if, I don't know if you've tracked that, but 15 years ago, there were tons of pop-up Halloween yeah. stores, um, except for Spirit. They've pretty much all gone by the wayside. Um, and no JV with Spirit. I mean, because y'all are not really in the city, though, with those locations. Uh, correct. Yeah. Though that's changing. The city keeps growing. Um, you know, we had Spirit at one of our locations this past year, and I think it went well. So if City Annex is where one of those permanent buildings is, are y'all no longer allowed to sell fireworks there? There, it, it used to be different, but there's a law now where if you're annexed, uh, if you have a building there, you get 20 more years before. Oh, nice. Down, okay. So. All right. Well, that yeah. helps. Yeah. There's been a good migration of pro-fireworks legislation in the past <laughs> decade or so. Thank you. What, thank, what's what's thank the you. state with the least rules on fireworks? I mean, it uh, used to be like Oklahoma, you could go get cherry bombs and stuff. Yeah, so nationally there's been just a recognition across everywhere that you know, you're better off just regulating fireworks than regulating okay. them. So almost every state has gotten more permissive, uh, except for kind of New York, Massachusetts, and California. So Florida, Alabama, Florida used to be closed, that opened up. Michigan, all these different states have become more permissive over time. Um, Wyoming, New Mexico, it's getting friendlier nationally uh, for the fireworks business. Okay. Uh, you said you moved to San Antonio from California. When did you move here? Uh, I grew up here, left for college when I was 18. I was like, I'm never coming yeah. back to this place. So uh, that worked. <laughs> See how that turned out. Uh, and then moved out to California because I wanted to be in the tech business. And so got out there in 97 when I graduated from college and stayed out there until 2004 moved back here with my wife. All right. Uh, moved back, did Alamo? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so that was the draw to bring us back to San Antonio. Uh, and I was CEO there for well, going on eight years. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, your Twitter is very uh, business advice. Do you have favorite business books that you recommend people to read? Yeah, I got a whole ton of them. Um, How about top three? Yeah, I mean, usually when people ask that question, I ask what they're trying to solve for. Um, you know, because people will typically have a specific you know, thing that they're... What about a small do. business law firm owner like myself? Uh, what is your biggest problem right now? Ooh, I think things are pretty good. Okay. I, you know, I don't really want to grow. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty happy the size and all that. Yeah. yeah. Are you making as much money as you'd like? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then maybe you don't need to read any books. Yeah, maybe I mean... you need a plane with Bud Light in it. Oh, it was Miller Light. Oh, oh I thought it was a classy <laughs> plane. <laughs> so, it wasn't Miller High Life, though, because that would be real, real good. Oh, yeah. Generally, what are some of the go-to books you think yeah, really sure. do a good job um, for small businesses? Yeah, for small businesses, for sure. Um, huge fan of a book called Traction. It's about the entrepreneurial operating system. Okay. So it's business paint by numbers huh. um, for running your for running your business. Um, you know, number two is uh, there's an interview methodology I really like called Top Grading. 
that's what I use for mm. all team building okay. on that sort of things. Um, there's a third one and I'm totally blanking on it, but it is um, basically a recipe for how to be a first time manager. Um, and I'll tweet whatever it is when I can remember, but I could see the cover, but I can't. Have you read this. the E-Myth? Yeah, E-Myth is good. Yeah, I'm reading it right now. It's really good. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me. So it's nice. You know, it's how, you, how do you create systems and get out of your own way in terms yeah. of making your business repeatable? And just because yeah. you're good at being, you know, a lawyer, don't think you're good at running a right. law firm. So where a lot of books and almost all those books fall apart, right, is it's very easy for them to be theoretical. Mm -hmm. You know, you like look at most of those books and they'll give you theory and principles. But then when it's like, okay, what do I do with this in terms of my, what do I do today? Or sure. what do I do this month or this quarter? You know, I've gravitated totally towards loving these books that just give you recipes so you can follow those systems sure. out of the book. So, you know, EOS, for example, has exactly that kind of stuff. Like, how do you document your core processes? How do you right. systematize them? How do you make them? But instead of you having to figure out, okay, I know this principle, and how do I put this into practice? It's like, oh, here's this worksheet I just yeah. fill out, right? And you can go back to figuring out how to be an amazing lawyer, as opposed to figuring out how to be an amazing, like, creator of some business system that some expert already created. Sure. So just use that. Yeah. So. And I think professional services are so different as opposed to, like, a, somebody that's making and selling a product, too. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a big believer, like all business kind of tastes like chicken. Um, okay. Well, you talk yeah. about processes and I'm like, I don't, I don't well, even know what our processes are here. The stuff you got to get right to really be a successful business. Okay. It's pretty much the same sure. stuff, right? And I think you look at my career and what I do now, people are like, oh, you're involved in all this different stuff. Like you're involved in a hospitality venture. You're involved in like a, an educational venture. Sure. You're involved in importi importing and retailing venture. Like how do you like deal with all that stuff? And it's because... The stuff you got to get right, right? How do you have the right vision? How do you how do you narrow that down to where you want to be three years from now? How do you narrow that down to what we're going to do right now? Document all those processes and the principles behind it. Those are universal; like they don't really change. Sure. Um, so anyway, soapbox. I'll get off. No, I mean, <laughs> I don't remember who it was, but there was somebody I was talking about. It was a business coach. I don't know who was it? I think they were on the show, and uh, that was a discussion we talked about. Just come on the show and like break down my business and let's talk about it. And I never did that because. I just forgot to do that. But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's also like, I think about it like doctors, you know, doctors yeah. almost never become like multi-city, multinational. And I don't know if it has to do with licensing or just kind of this e-myth problem of doctors shouldn't be the one running their business and figuring out how to scale it. Yeah. And you ask me, what's, what, what do I want to change? Eh, it's fine. I'm sure if there was a good business mind who came in and said, well, you're missing out on this and doing that, you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. I think but, some people... But that's the right thing, right? Like a lot of people let their business make themselves servants to their business. You have to remember this business exists to serve you. Sure. Right. And if you're telling me you're totally happy with the way your business is and you're, you don't want it to be any different than it is, like, who am I to tell well, you? Well, now I've thought about it. The one thing I want to do is be able to have less, uh, release the reins somewhat. Oh, you'd like to be able to delegate more. I don't know if that's the answer because if it's a, if a legal service, it's my legal services. But yeah, I think I'd want to do. I think I'd want to have less stress about the job, which I think a lot of it is all the admin yeah. stuff is the stuff that stresses me, yeah, which yeah. I'm sure I could hire a, like a COO or whatever you call them, yeah. operations person, yeah. which a lot of my friends have done. And I just, it seems very seems like, like, seems like big time to me. <laughs> have a COO. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, check out that EOS book. Maybe you'd like it. And entrepreneur what? Uh, it's Op called Traction. There's two, there's two really okay. good books called Traction. One's blue and one's black. You want the black one for this purpose. What's EOS stand for? Uh, Entrepreneurial Operating System. Okay. All right. Yeah, business pain by numbers. Um, favorite Fiesta event? 
Uh, definitely King William Fair. For okay. Sure. I was the chair of it for a couple of years. Nice. So, yeah. I just re-upped my sponsorship to be the sponsor of the first aid tent. Oh, nice. Thank you very much. I feel like it nice. matches, you yeah. know, being an injury lawyer. <laughs> it made sense to me. Um, under the radar companies in San Antonio that maybe people don't know about, but are really like making waves and changing and growing here yeah, in the yeah. city. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of what's going on with people building tech companies here locally. So we have uh, a company that, that I helped incubate called Dura Software. Um, it, was, it was the fastest growing tech company in, in Texas um, wow. for a while. So last, and they just won the Business Journal Award around that. Cool. What kind and, of software? Uh, so they, um, if you think about the life cycle of software, they do B2B software, but they find it generally once it's pretty mature and the owners are ready to get out of it. So they acquire that huh. software. Um, they move the headquarters to San Antonio. So they've done that nine going on 10 times now. Um, and yeah, that then they run those businesses and hold mm. them forever. Uh, who's behind it? Um, so I started it with uh, a couple of former Rackers. Um, so me, Paula Salisbury, and Chris Burney um, started that back in 2018. And we went and bought our first company. And mm. then we raised a little money and bought some more. And then we Lots more after that. Would that be considered a conglomerate if it's a bunch of different? Yeah, so uh, typically that's not a conglomerate. So you have different ways that serial acquirers like that get defined. Um, so we're more of what's technically called an accumulator. Like okay. you accumulate these things. And it's all about how much you centralize things based on where you are. So like at, at one of the spectrum, you have like Berkshire Hathaway, so Warren Buffett's company, which has like multiple Everything. hundreds of billions of dollars, but really like 20 people at headquarters. That's a uh, massively decentralized thing. Um, we centralize some stuff because the businesses have common common things. Sure. And then like hold codes and stuff like that will often kind of centralize more stuff. So um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, we're kind of an accumulator of this type. So of Big Laurie's group here in town would be uh, more like the Berkshire because they seem to have like four employees. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know him though, right? I don't know him at all. But you know who I'm talking about? I do. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, he used to run around with some of my buddies, so <laughs> we always heard the stories. But I'd be like, how many people work there? Five or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. 10,000 in Steak and Shake. But I was, yeah, yeah. you know, that's all That's all above my pay grade. Um, okay, so I was looking at your website, and you've got a very uh, robust website about all the things you work on and sort of your, oh, your story and We're all gonna that. We're going to come up with a new version that doesn't look so janky. I'm hopefully I'm sorry I mean, about that. You know, everybody got fancy on the internet, then they went back to just plain. I, I mean, it's I fine. Know. I may be behind the times, but I want it to look good. It, doesn't it look looks good. fine. It doesn't look good. I don't like it. Well, if you do too much, then you kind of walk the line of self-aggrandizing, though, right? Like, it's it, there's somewhere. I mean, it's, it, if you're going to have a flash site with you with a shirt off and a cape maybe whenever you get It's on actually it. a huge challenge, right? Because San Antonians, like like the culture here is like, we don't self promote. And like, like a lot of things I have to do, like I have to get on the phone with people or in calls or like going on social media and be like, let me make this thing bigger yeah. than it actually is. <laughs> and so like, I've like my business coach and stuff is like, look, you need to start telling people how it is and stop demurring and stuff like self promote. Okay. So yeah, I got to break out of the mold, man. Like, but you have a very, you have a big Twitter presence, like what? 50,000 followers or uh, something? About to break 60. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pretty fun. I, I mean, that's a lot for a San Antonio guy who's given business advice. Uh, Jason Dady said I was the best follower in San Antonio. So there you go. I mean, promoting. <laughs> you know, I went thank to two Jason. brothers barbecue recently. So. Thank, you, thank you, Jason Dady. I needed the confidence boost. I think I saw that. That maybe is what made me start checking your uh, yeah. Twitter out. Yeah. So it actually probably got you a follower. Yeah, there we go. I yeah. think I have like 30. 
I think that's okay. That's you know, that's pretty good for only being on Twitter like nine years. Okay, you yeah. know, are you happy with that? Are yeah, you get, I'm get pretty happy you? with that. There you go. There's never been a moment where I'm like, I wish I had more followers. There you go. But you know, Ryan made a comment about how you had so many followers, and I could tell in his brain that he didn't know how you did it. Oh yeah, yeah. So maybe you need to give him like Twitter, <laughs> Twitter coaching. Well, I'm gonna tell him that over beers that you've volunteered to give him Twitter coaching. <laughs> okay, let, let me know where to report for that. Okay, so you know your website's it's very informative, and people should check it out just to see what's going on in San Antonio because I think it does a really good job of giving some background information about this sort of growing startup tech scene in San Antonio that I consider myself a pretty big reader of the news and follower of what's going on. And you just kind of hear like startup got some funding and you know, it's kind of a byline in these newspapers, but there's not a lot of information about who those companies are. What are they doing? Why does it matter to our city? And it seems like you try to bridge that gap with your website, which I do appreciate. One of the things you talk about is, um, you do some investing in companies where you try to not only invest financially, but also get involved in a leadership style. You talk, you call it Cupid investing. And I'd never heard that before. So talk to us, what is Cupid investing and, and sort of how do you go about doing that? Yeah. Well, so there's a lot of people have heard of angel investing. Um, and the reason you never heard of Cupid investing is because I made it up. So whatever. Um, but angel investing is typically like, Hey, somebody comes to you, they have an idea and they need to raise this much money to reach their next milestones. And then maybe they're going to raise some more money or, Things get profitable by then and they sell the company. Sure. Right? You're very passive. And and typically what happens there is you're often doing things like writing a bunch of little small checks. You're checking in with them once or twice a year. You know, you're not deeply involved in the company. Right. You're not emotionally committed to it. Um, and your strategy there is often the best thing to write a bunch of little tiny checks in the hopes one turns into big money someday. Yeah. So, you know, I think oh, you mean spread it out among different spread, spread it out, projects. Yeah. yeah. Mathematically, that's the right thing to do right. as an investor. You know, and for me, like, I'm very much emotionally driven in terms of fulfillment. Like, I discovered that just wasn't that fulfilling. Like, yeah. I wasn't enjoying it at all. Um, you know, I also really enjoy being closer to being the man in the arena or the woman in the arena, right? Like, how do you how do you get more emotionally attached to it? How do you get more involved? How do you, you know, have that feeling where you're just starting something and you're like, this is this has zero chance of failing. And right. why? Because I'm going to will it to succeed. Sure. Like, there is just no way we're failing here. Um, and, you know, I found that type of investing where you're very passive just is not fulfilling to me. At the same time, like, you know, after 20 odd years in business, I've learned, like, I'm actually not that great of an operator because I'm too shiny object attached. I'm uh-huh. too curious. So that's where I do this this form now where I spend time incubating companies, helping the right people get into those seats in the companies, getting them to the point where they're mature enough, and then letting them fly and run and be supportive of And that. some of this stuff is pretty esoteric, I think. So, like, what is a business incubator? It's another one of those terms that people hear, but I think unless you're not more into that world, you right. just kind of generally understand what it means. But what does it really mean yeah. day well, to day? It means a lot of people, part of the confusion is a lot of different people have different definition of that stuff. But incubating businesses t- means typically like how do you, incub- it's the equivalent is like incubating a chicken, yeah. right? Like, so you have an egg, which is your idea, mm-hmm. and then the egg hatches, and then it's not self-sufficient. You got to make sure it gets fed right. And eventually that thing turns into a juvenile chicken, and the juvenile chicken can go figure out life on its own. Yeah. Same thing for a business, chick. right? Uh, Yes. A chick. Yes. I mean, I own chickens, so. I don't. You chicken. can incubate business. I'm, you know, I've got yeah, the chickens. Chickens chicken sounds like a lot of work, man. Yeah. Um, but so same idea. If you draw the parallel there, like you take an idea or a concept, right? You start to assemble 
the team and start to build those repeatable kind of beneficial cycles of the business, right? And it's like, how do you take a customer problem? How do you solve it? How do you get paid for that? How do you repeat that? How do you make it scalable? You do that kind of stuff. And then you get it to a point where it can support, say, the, an entire leadership team, support a sales team. It can start to be something that maybe other investors are interested in. Um, and that incubation process kind of happens that way where you take things from a nascent nothing to viable and so does incubation start at just idea or is it after you've kind of got proof of concept and maybe some sales i mean what point does a business end up in a girdly incubator situation yeah like i enjoy most kind of working at stuff from the idea concept okay phase. um and that's just where i do best right like i like making decisions around imperfect imperfect information um, you know, if you think about poker versus chess, like I yeah. like poker better, right? Just because I'm comfortable making probabilistic choices like that. So, you know, other people incubate things in different other ways, right? There's people that run incubators where they do what I just talked about, but they're uh, helping people start up franchisees, right? Like, uh, okay, well, I'm going to incubate these three people to become franchisees <clears throat> or these people to be service providers. All those are kind of things that incubation can happen around. And it's all just you know, really uh, a style fit for what interests you and where your skill set is. And then you, you particularly yourself, you prefer to kind of stay on once incubation goes into like a real running concern and be part of leadership and all that. Yeah. So leadership in terms of like being a passive supporter or semi-active supporter of them through board roles and governance yeah. and stuff like that. Like I'm good at that. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. You know, I, I like being on a board because, especially for companies, you get called in when there's interesting problems. Yeah. You get to deal with the psychology of the leadership. Uh, you get to help them be them their best selves, yeah. right? And, and for me, like, one of the things I watch for is when do I kind of light up when I'm talking about stuff? And, like, like, I have learned that I find a ton of joy in helping other people become them their best selves, right? And there's people that there's a gap where their best self is running a business or yeah. being a CEO of something or, you know, being a founder of something, but there's a, a you know, there's a, a divide that they can't get over, that they can't jump over. And, like, the joy I get is how do I help that person tap dance to work every day yeah. by helping craft the right role for them and the right mission <clears throat> that they're inspired to be a part of and the team they get to lead and then be there and support them. Like that's, you know, because I mean, a lot of businesses will outgrow the people that created them. Right. I mean, yeah. sometimes a business gets too big for the personality that made it possible. Yeah. Well, there's different philosophies around that, but I mean, the one I like most is kind of the net Netflix metaphor that, you know, every <coughs> business is the Yankees, right. And the Yankees, I don't know if they're any good anymore, but it's baseball, but it's the idea that, you know, a company evolves and there are really, you know, right personalities, right people for given seats at given times, yeah. right? And and that extends from top to bottom that, you know, if you're a high growth company, you need a different personality CEO, say from one that is very mature and is shrinking, you want to get a different personality type in there because those are two, two very different things that sure. can happen, right? Or a, a company that's growing versus one that's flat and farming its opportunity. Those are two very different things that you want in terms of not only the CEO, but all the people top to bottom. And the same thing applies to me, right? Yeah. There's there's going to come a time where, you know, if we're building the Yankees, which is the best possible team that could be on the field at this particular moment for this opportunity, it may be time for me to be realistic about where I'm good and where I'm bad and exit stage yeah. right, right? Or exit stage left, whichever was the appropriate one. I don't remember one. either. Um, but like, you know, that that to me becomes a really powerful awareness when everybody realizes, oh, like the mission is what matters here. And 
the best thing for the mission is sometimes I'm not the right person to be in that seat. Right. Uh, and you, 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 you approach that as human beings and treat them like humans and do it from a place of kindness and help them be there um, as part of their journey right through life. So your, your approach is very hands-on. It sounds like, I mean, how many things can you be involved in with that much attention and that much sort of intense involvement in these things? Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I don't want to overblow, like being on a board, like is important, but like the surface area of what you do on a board, like the time consuming stuff, like is it getting done by other people sure. or repeatable processes? Right. Yeah. So, um, think about how much of your business and law practice is you know, doing law or managing client relationships yeah. or building your team. Like I don't have to do any of that stuff. And doing a podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we could dig into that. But, um, <laughs> so, like, it's actually being on boards is relatively a scalable thing to do, right? You have board meetings, you have interactions with the CEO, you have data gathering of things that you need to know. Um, but you get a you vote. Know, get a what? You get to vote. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. You know, and every company has a governance setup that's appropriate for where it is and its in its you know, life cycle. Right. So, I mean, how many how many things do you have your hands in these days? Um, 20 companies, 10 companies? Uh, directly, I mean, like seven. Okay. And then there's a couple being incubated. Do you feel like that's a good uh, use of time, or do you think stretched thin? Uh, I am not that stretched right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you, so we kind of trended off. Any other sort of businesses you think in San Antonio people listen to this should, should just kind of look up and see what they're doing because they're going to be around and they're going to be yeah. one of the next big things in town. Yeah, so um, definitely look up a company called Jungle Disc. They've been around here for a while. They were spun out of Rackspace. Um, so they used that one picture of that guy, Pyatt, is that Brett? his name? Yeah. It's the same picture every time. Yeah. And I always see it and I'm like, what is this? I always read it's jungle disc, but all in my mind, it's the one picture of him that's in the business yeah. journal every time. He's a great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Came to San Antonio as part of, um, you know, for AT&T, went to go work at Rackspace, saw an entrepreneurial opportunity when Rackspace wanted to get, get jungle disc out of their portfolio businesses, mm -hmm. led a local family office funded buyout of jungle disc. Wow. Um, ran it for the past six years, huge community supporter, great guy. Um, and then this past fall, I partnered with him and, and another individual, Matt Morris, to go basically um, 5x the size of that business by acquiring some assets uh, out of a public company and relocate them all here to San Antonio. And what does Jungle Disk do? So Jungle Disk does uh, backup and disaster recovery oh, okay. for businesses all the way down from two people up to hundreds. Okay. Um, so all the way from kind of micro nano business up to... Um, mid-market. And so they're actually the largest private tech company in San Antonio now. Is so that right? That. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so pretty cool. So and wait, is Rackspace private anymore? They're public. Okay. They're publicly traded. Didn't they go private for a minute? Yeah, they got bought by Apollo. Um, and then they're already public again? And Yeah, well, I mean, it was like four years, but three years they held it and then they flipped it to the public market. It seems pretty fast. <laughs> I mean, I remember it was a big deal when it went private because of all these discussions that may leave town and all that. And then I guess that didn't happen. Um, I mean, they didn't really leave town. Um, you know, Rackspace is a different company than it was when, you know, Graham and, and Lou and those guys were running it. It yeah. was much more of a San Antonio company, and now it's a company that happens to be located in San Antonio. Okay. Is uh, Jungle Disc located downtown? Or? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so they're, uh, they're right across from Geekdom. Um, All right. Near the, near the Weston Center. So. Okay. What building? Uh, 425 Soledad. I don't know. <laughs> It's, it's actually, in the, there's like these buildings downtown that were built in the 80s and, and 70s that like, 
if I showed you a picture of it, you'd be like, that's downtown? I'd be like, yeah, it's right there. Well, I worked in that Bank of America building for six years, so I know it pretty good. And some of those old dumps are finally getting renovated. Yeah, sure. and it's starting to look so much better. Yeah. What, do you think, what do you think the future of downtown is? You know, downtown is really tough with COVID stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I think downtown um, is going to have to, you know, kind of reboot a bit once once COVID is over. A lot of the amenities that made the increased hassle of being downtown um, went offline. You know, Rosella left, uh, Pinch moved out. Um, these are different restaurants downtown. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think we do have an opportunity for it to rebuild. I think post-COVID should should hopefully be a good opportunity. Well, Mayor Castro, that was such a big thing to him, and he did. I mean, that, that deal, whatever they did, the fines for the buildings that were dilapidated, I mean, it's been great for downtown. It's forced uh, redevelopment, and it's just forced them to sell some buildings that were being, yeah, you know, just sat on. But yeah. now it seems like it's kind of stagnating downtown again. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But Geekdom and some of these tech companies moving down there, I mean, that's a good sign for downtown. Yeah, I mean, you have Geekdom, which has been a, a good anchor of the downtown community for going on, I guess, 11, 12 years now. Code Up's down there, which is another business that I hope start um, and, and is going really good. They're on Houston Street. Uh, and then uh, Pathwire, um, which just got, got sold a few months ago to a big uh, conglomerate out of Sweden, I think. Are they leaving? Yeah. Uh, no. And, and Code Up's the coding school, right? Yeah, Code Up is a career accelerator coding school. So, Is it just here? Uh, they are here. Um, they've expanded... F- here in Houston and Dallas. Okay. I thought Houston had one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So they are a five month career accelerator. It takes people who typically are well prepared for life, but not well prepared for careers. So they graduate from college, got English degrees or philosophy degrees. Mm -hmm. If I name you a degree and you get insulted, let me know. But things that are typically not very employable um, because colleges don't do an amazing job of teaching job skills. Yeah. And then it gives them a five month really finishing program. um, And then, gets them a job as a software developer, data scientist, or systems engineer in tech um, where they're a good employee. And if they don't get a, um, a job within six months of graduation, we give them back all their money. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Is, uh, is Ron's work uh, ready to work doing anything with code up? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he was on the, he, he was on the podcast right when that came out. And I remember us talking about code up and then I don't remember following up with it. It's a great program. Yeah. We've had a great, um, great partnership with um, Workforce San Antonio. Um, and I'm totally blanking on our other great partnership. Um, but there's another another a parallel organization of them that's um, been fantastic. Is Workforce through the city? Uh, they are county, I think. Do y'all do anything with Restore Education? I don't believe so. Mm. I'm on the board of that. They have job training. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's great. It's we the most successful GED program in the city. That's great. And they also have uh, job training. That's great. Yeah. Um, all right. So you, you've really, if, if you look at your website and I read your post, you're really focused on tech and you're really focused on kind of trying to, um, grow tech in San Antonio, right? Uh, what do you think are sort of some of the things that San Antonio needs to do better to get us to sort of what you see as maybe the tech nirvana that maybe we can be? And what are the things you think we really are already excelling at? Yeah. I mean, I think we're doing a great job with having a perception that that San Antonio is a good place to be able to do that. I mean, we're still behind the public perception of what you can do in Austin or sure. New York or San Francisco. It's always going to be that way. Yeah. But, you know, in, in the past decade, I've really seen us go from people thinking that nothing can happen here or it's impossible to do a tech company in San Antonio um, to really where we are today, where 
people see examples of doofuses like me or other folks that are, are creating things, right? And they're like, oh, if those people can do it, like San Antonio is a place where it can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that, that, that big transition, and I, I don't want to diminish that at yeah. all. Like, that's been enormous in terms of perception. If people used to think it was impossible and now they see yeah. it's possible, like, that's pretty darn good. You know, and I think the other transition that's happened and people are seeing is, you know, companies like Pathwire, like, they deploy dozens, if not hundreds of people. Dura, you know, has 300 people worldwide. It's three years old. Like, wow. these are real corporations. Yeah. Um, Jungle Disk is in the hundreds of numbers of employees, and that's not even counting, you know, Code Up, I think, is up to 60-odd people. Like, these are real tech jobs um, that are, like, reasons that if our kids grow up and want to move back to San Antonio and work in a future-oriented industry, there's yeah. options for them here. And they pay, they're, they're better-paying jobs, they're generally. Paying, paying, yeah, paying good money, yeah. right? Um, you know, we still have the San Antonio factor, which, you know, a big thing that holds San Antonio back is it's hard to recruit people here, right? Because they don't see the high level of opportunity and perception there that you have in a Denver or an Atlanta or an Austin. Um, and also, like... Dang, we're second to Atlanta? Atlanta's like a really good tech hub. It's almost... Com- I know, but... Yeah. I don't really... You know, it's... Atlanta. I mean, Denver. Nice city. Yeah, I mean, they're all great places. Yeah, <laughs> Atlanta. <laughs> All right, so there's the the perception issue. Yeah. I mean, I think we still have the perception of being Tex-Mex, Riverwalk, tourists. Oh, yeah. For there's sure. still a lot of that. Military. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah fair. Yeah, I mean, you, if you talk to your typical person who's a high performer and try to get them to come here, you know, you can often win over somebody with kids. Like, they're yeah. like, okay, great. Like, I see the benefit of San Antonio. Yeah. Like, I can get this amazing house out on the northwest side with a water fountain, and it's a third of Austin or half uh-huh. of Austin and 20% of the cost or, or 10% of the cost of one in California, yeah. like sign me up. And that's why a lot of those people are moving here. Um, you know, it gets tougher when you're trying to recruit somebody who's of dating age. Um, you know, it's just, they, they don't, you know, I moved here in 07 of dating age and yeah. single and the city is just so different now yeah, than yeah. it was then. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've, I've recruited, I've been deeply involved in trying to recruit young people to move here, hired them, move them here. Um, you know, during the pandemic, I've lost most of them. They've, they've all moved away. But aren't we this? I mean, last I checked, we were one of the biggest cities for millennials over the last few years to move into. So we do have this very large millennial scene. Is it just we haven't been able to get out the information about what is available here in that sort of in that respect? Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I think a lot of them open up Tinder here and then they open up Tinder in Austin and they're like, <laughs> why am I not in Austin? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but like I dig into like, why I'm not even sure Tinder's still the thing anymore. Uh, they do Bumble. Bumble. I'm sure has, there's a new thing. Bumble. Yeah. There's some app that Ben Affleck got busted on one and I was reading an article and I thought I've never even heard of that. <laughs> there's some app that, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, when I got married, there weren't any apps. Like, Were there phones? Uh, yes. There was, uh, there was even electricity. <laughs> was it the Razor or the Nokia? Um, yeah, I think we were still like Motorola, Motorola's at the time. Yeah, big old brick were, phones. Oh, yeah. What year did you get married? The, uh, we got married in two thousand four, but no, um, they had the Razors and the Nokias and all that. Then they we, had flip phones. We were dating and exclusive since ninety nine okay. or two thousand. Yeah, I got my first Razor in two thousand. All right, we well, were cool. I'm yeah. Not. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you had a phone then. Uh, yes. Okay. So you kind of said the things we do good are the changing perception that doofuses like yourself can, can take off, but also some of the things we do bad are the, the perception is not where it needs to be to sort of attract new talent. Yeah. I mean, we're still, I just wish we had 
you know, we have the Riverwalk, which can attract like a certain clientele. Yeah. And a lot of the folks that are excited to drive in or that sort of thing. Like there's the, there's the, they're still missing the infrastructure here or the sense of place where somebody who is a person with options and choices would want to stay here yeah. right, and want to come make a, a life here. You know, there's no equivalent of Sixth Street, right? There's no party scene. Like we don't, we don't really have like the, the festivals or the that kind of it factor. Uh, fiesta, people. come on. Uh, fiesta, yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's more than any festival in Austin or none, Dallas or Houston. None of the people I've recruited here. But you don't know about excited. Fiesta being Fiesta until you live yeah. here. I mean, I do think it has a cool opp- an opportunity to be more than just a local party for folks here. But that's not what we've chosen to do, which is fine. Yeah. So it's a very San Antonio is very like just like you said. Don't you know? People are like, I don't self promote, and people don't show off. And it is, is it's going to have to overcome that idea of we don't want people to think we're showing off to convince people that we are what we are. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, here's the other part of it, right? Like, like San Antonio, like you'll see it over and over again when somebody proposes a change, and then when they realize the change requires pain by at least one small entity in the in the community, no matter who that entity is, it just dies. We're seeing that with death. the amphitheater right now. Uh, I yeah, I've been watching that stuff too. I, I saw you prodding somebody on Twitter, asking them their was, why do you feel that way, and they answered, <laughs> and you just said thanks. <laughs> no, I genuinely wanted to know. Like I, I mean, I think that's that's also how you win on Twitter. Like when I really know something and I believe it, I'm totally interested in it. But also, I approach Twitter. And social media is a place to learn, right? Yeah. I'm not going on there trying to change anybody's mind, which makes social media so much better. Like, just don't try to change anybody's yeah. mind. But I genuinely was curious as to why, I think it was Chad. Yeah. Carrie was like, this sucks. And I was like, okay, well, tell me why it sucks. People are nasty curious. on Twitter, too. Like, there's just so much trolling and nastiness. That's why I don't really post anything. I just, like, I'm a creep who just reads stuff. Oh, well, it's also, like, I take it as a personal challenge. Like, how do you never not be nice? Well, you're a better person yeah, than I am. It's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. Like it makes you a better person to like, yeah. set a rule like that and be like, I am never going to lose my temper or right like an angry to anybody. Yeah, I should do more of that. Yeah, yeah, probably. Not. I'm not good at that. I, I, I just find it interesting. I have found it uh, that I have a level of enthusiasm about it. If you don't, who cares? But okay, so this kind of is a good segue into some of the things that I think um, matter to me and things that I personally think would help the city. I think having a big amphitheater right off 281 where people drive by and see the lights and the sound and know that there is this vibrant music scene in the middle of the city instead of way out in an amphitheater in Selma, I think those things are good for the city. I think it, it just creates an energy. And, of course, there are people that won't be happy, but there's always people that aren't happy. Yeah. So, I mean... First of all, number one, like, you know, two years ago, I made a big shift personally. Like, I'm a total homer. Like, I want San Antonio to be better. Yeah. What I changed in terms of how I approach stuff is I just picked how very specifically I'm going to change stuff. Yeah. And what I did is I quit being on any nonprofit boards. I quit on being on any sort of, like, come to my meeting. We're going to have a community forum. I just don't go to any of that stuff. I just say, no, I'm not doing that. And I just said, all I'm going to do is... I'm going to bring the types of companies to San Antonio that I want to be here to create jobs that attract the type of people that I'm excited to spend time with. That's so you don't take positions on anything. So that's all I'm doing. So now we can talk about this amphitheater, but I'm just going to tell you, like, I don't even pay attention to this stuff. So let's not talk about the amphitheater. Just generally the amenities you think would be helpful for San Antonio oh, and attracting I mean, I, talent. I think you need to start to shift the city 
to um, attract those people who have choices, right? And they want to go to some place where they can ride their bike and walk yep. in the shade and there's trees. You know, We I, have a ton of trees here. Have you ridden a bike in the city? I ride every Sunday at least 20 miles. So <laughs> I ride through the, the corridor. But we are a very shaded city. <laughs> Statistically, need, we are. You need to go downtown and walk down Navarro Street in front of that Embassy Suites that's there on the corner. Well, why would I want to do that? That's parking lot hell is the problem down that there. Is, that, is where the, that is where the people I'm talking about who have choices, they want to spend time in urban and semi-urban environments. Not like you and me because we have kids. Yeah. And we're parents. Yeah. And we spend time in our minivan. I don't have one of those yet, but I get it. You should get one. They're cool. You know, they're the fastest cars on the road, I've decided. Okay, so Navarro, that park in front of Pinkerton's is a good example of, you know, that's fine. us moving in that direction. Yeah, I mean, that is that is great. Yeah. That's that's one part of it. Yeah. Um, but nobody's talking about what are we going to do about the nasty two parking lots that are right in front of it that are heat those? deserts. Um, so one is owned by, um, well, so <laughs> you're never gonna, you're never gonna redevelop them because the people that own parking lots make such so much money. Much, it is, Does Lebowitz own one of those? He used to own a bunch downtown. Uh, he does not own that one. Okay. It's owned by a family that lives, I think in Floresville or something. And they just collect their hundred grand a month. God. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fun thing you can think. One of the interesting things to do is just think about if you could go back and talk to your ancestors. I don't know what your ancestors did, but I know what mine did. Mine sold explosives on the side of the road out of shacks. Okay. But like if you could go back One to One of mine bombed a train station in a union uprising. Yeah. So yeah, you explosives. just explosives. If you could go back to them and be like, look, let's have a little chat. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're doing now, this isn't good for you. You should consider let's talk about some good stuff. Car dealership, mini storage development. Like uh -huh. let's let's get you into something that's gonna really create some generational wealth here. And uh, I think it's a pretty interesting kind of thought experiment. And now they don't even need a human there. They just have the machine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's Okay, so tree cover, you know, mobility, tree accessible. Cover, I, I mean, I think we need an entertainment district. Yeah, for sure. In terms of like clubs and bars. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Where do you, where do you go? Like, um, you know, my my wife used to have her girlfriends from college come to San Antonio and be like, okay, well, let's go out, get a limo. Where do you go? I think do it's you, I think it's the Sixth Strip, Street? right? Do you go to Rainy Street. Oh, if you're in Austin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so. You know, we, we have basically regulated ourselves out of any of I think you talked to the St. Mary's people, at least on the St. Mary's Strip people yeah. on Twitter. You can't you can't do anything on that street as a proprietor. Like, where do you park? Right now, yeah. Yeah. Where can, where can you can't you, park in rainy either, can you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't go there. I'm old. Yeah, I went there one time. I, maybe one of the hotels has a parking garage. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's, I think that's one of the amenities I would, I would definitely like to see. And then density is super important, right? We're, we have such a cool opportunity to change the policies to make San Antonio's downtown stronger. But like, you know, the parking situation, like I have no idea why we're still charging for street parking down there. It's just oh, un yeah. unbelievably dumb. Well, and it was like Sunset Station too. I mean, that thing has been, without sort of saying who, I mean, that thing was held hostage because somebody wanted the city to pay for park, create parking for everybody. Yeah. So you have this just beautiful development close to everything, close to our biggest tourist, you know, yeah. stuff. And it's just sat there with yeah. parking for maybe a hundred cars at the best. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I would love for us to stop being the city that over and over again chooses short-term sprawl. Yeah. Right. You know, we put UTSA in the wrong place. No offense to UCSA. It should be downtown like they have in Austin. But we do have now the big facility coming now, downtown. Now we're addressing yeah. that. That's great. So that's yeah. a great decision. Real you close know. to the jail, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, it'd be, it's a one-stop shop. <laughs> you know, you have that, and then we have the Alamo Dome complex, and then we decide to split that level of density. So you know, you, you have we don't have the things that you see in other cities like Kansas City and Denver, where those types of amenities are downtown mm-hmm. around those types of options. Yeah, the baseball uh, field going downtown. I mean, that really should have happened. Uh, I was pro that. Yeah. <laughs> um, soccer stadium. Like, why the hell do we have a soccer stadium out in the middle? Of no, I have no, no idea where it is. Nowhere. Like, take some of these downtown parks. Where is it? Uh, it's at uh, Wurzbach Parkway and O'Connor. Is that right? I had no idea yeah, where it was. Yeah, there's a Starbucks across the street. Okay, all right. Yeah. Oh, it's nice. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> the other thing they do with the soccer stadium, which I don't understand, is they pointed the stands at the sun, and then they hold the games in August. And like, I was like, oh, guys. Got, Jerry Jones taught him how to build a stadium, like, it sounds like. Oh, guys, maybe you should call me on this stuff. Jeez. <laughs> like, yeah, right? So we have AT&T over there. We have yeah. uh, Nelson Wolf Southwest. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just kind of a mess. Yeah, I mean, we just... But it's yeah. our mess. That, I mean, those yeah. things aren't going to be changed. And look, I understand, like, for the first 150 years of the city's existence, downtown was a floodplain. It yeah. made no sense to put anything up. But we've got flood control now. Yeah. Like, let's change and really put focus back on downtown. And, you know, Mayor Castro, I think, was great about really doing the hard choices to make focus around downtown. We haven't been doing that the past six or seven no. years. It's Nobody talks about downtown. It's It's been getting pillaged. Do you, so sort of two just personal questions I have. Do you think the cybersecurity sort of focus, that it does sound like San Antonio really is taking off in that direction sure. and has a lot of opportunities. Yeah. So to me, it seems like that can be our future high-paying jobs if we really focus on that and create this industry around it. But also, I mean, our proximity to what's happening in Austin should provide some spillover, especially with our cost of property being lower, our yeah. cost of labor being lower, our cost of living being lower. I mean, shouldn't we get some of that spillover, you know, with the Tesla plant and all that? I mean, there's going to be a bunch of component part suppliers and manufacturers that, that are going to be needed. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Um, you know, so there's kind of really two things you ask, like cybersecurity. So cybersecurity is great. I think it's also important to remember with cyber, there's really two different things, right? There's cyber services where you're like, you're actually in there like securing computers, right? And you're making sure that the servers are locked down and people do that work, right? Yeah. And so that's that's where San Antonio is incredibly strong now. Okay. There's the second part of it, which is cyber products, right? Which are, you know, where you build products that are sold and those are, you know, service, those are technology services. So code, yeah. you know, all that kind of, or hardware, that kind of stuff. Like, like we're doing great on the services side. You've got millions, not millions, you've got tons of people that are coming out and especially out of the military and out of yeah. the different programs that are good at that stuff. You know, we don't really have a cyber startup scene at this point. There are few and far between. We did have a company, Infosite, it was here, they moved to Austin. But we seem and, primed for that. I mean, if you've got the one, I mean, they're complementary, right? Not necessarily. Like they're really different businesses. And if you kind of think about it fundamentally, if you have a product startup where you're doing an innovation, those run capital negative, right? Cash flow negative for some period of time while sure. they're growing and building their business to capture their market opportunity. Okay. That requires venture capital, that requires an ecosystem of people to support that and requires the right founders to go after that stuff. That is fundamentally different than when you build a services business, which can be bootstrapped, where you go and say, Okay, well, I have two people here, and I'm going to sell. They cost me X per hour, and I'm going to sell them for two X per hour. Uh. So that is a different business and a different ecosystem and a different ethos as well between those two different things. But those two people might be installing and, and using these softwares to secure everything, right? That they bought from some company in California That's what I'm saying. or I mean, Munich or yeah. whatever. And so how do you how do you start making more of that stuff here? So right. we're exporting things rather than just people's time. You know, Ryan did a really good job of discussing that when he was on the podcast was how, you know, some businesses are so different here because they create 
only money in almost. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, his product sells so much around the world and that money comes here. And I never really thought about what businesses are better for the city, but it made me kind of reevaluate the way I think about what is a, what is, what sets some of these businesses apart in terms of how they provide for the right. city. It was interesting. Yeah. So the equivalent like for countries is like trade imbalances, right? Yeah. yeah. So you want, if you're Austin, you want to have a trade imbalance, yeah. right? Where you're like importing more money from exporting products. Right. And ideally you're exporting product like that has zero marginal cost, right? It costs you $0 to make a new one, like code and software right. and, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So how much, how much of the talent y'all are working with is, uh, I mean, imported talent. So, you know, people that come in on the, the visas that allow for like high tech jobs. I mean, is that, cause I know USAA for a long time had a lot of people that came in on visas yeah, sure. for tech jobs. Is that something that some of our companies are pursuing? Because I feel, and I could be wrong that those jobs aren't going to be turned down due to lack of entertainment district and some of those things. Yeah. Well, you've got, so at least in, in my world, hiring has totally shifted in the past 24 months. Yeah. So, you know, I used to be super hardcore about like, oh, you have to be in the same room to be a highly successful oh, yeah. team. You have to have an office. Um, you know, the last couple companies I've worked on, we don't, didn't even have an office. Mm. Like incubating the thing and everybody's at their house. Well, right. That sounds great. We're going to stay remote forever. Um, but so hiring has really shifted and I've seen it happen amongst companies where who were like hardcore, like, oh, we need you to move to San Antonio to do this role, right? Yeah. And that was the way Rackspace was for decades, right? Um, two decades. And like, you've seen that shift now where, where companies by and large, the default is not that it is, okay, we're going to be location agnostic and we're going to treat you if you're in Mexico city or if you're in Argentina or if you're in Phoenix or if you're in San Francisco, we're going to treat you like a first, a sure. first class citizen of the company. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm doing a lot of hiring now and we don't even talk about it. We're just like, uh. just kind of over the, you're so desperate for talent right now. Like, because it's so hard to hire, you're just like, okay, well, like, you you can work here, and I can afford you, and you're great. Like, okay, great. You like, think this is short term though, or do you think that's the future of all business? I think it's totally, totally shifted. Uh. I, I mean, those companies that we started without a headquarters or without an office, they're not. Why would we start spending money on an office? Well, no. so then, then what's the answer for San Antonio if attracting talent's no longer a problem? Uh, I mean, so that comes back to I really uh, the talent gap that I think we still do have, which is. You know, you need more people that are taking that first leap and starting companies from nothing. Is venture capital or, or seed capital or whatever you want to say, is is people willing to part with cash in San Antonio uh, some of our problem? So um, money, I so I'm in the minority on this. I don't think money is our problem. Okay. I, do, I don't think. Because um, I've heard like other cities that, that San Antonio, it's, it's a lot more tight-fisted of a city. Yeah, so if people here by and large, haven't made their money yeah. from high growth opportunities, so they're not as comfortable investing in them. Yeah, um, There are seeds of it happening here and people doing it. I, Geekdom Fund is one of them. There's an, a couple other funds as well, people running around doing it. But but the real, the real gating factor is every time I've seen high quality founders with a high quality idea with good traction go out to raise money, like they've had no problem whatsoever. Okay. Like, you know, and, and so the people that haven't been able to raise money there's an implicit insult in what I just said. Yeah, yeah. So, so they disagree with me, but like, if you have a good idea and you've proven you can get some traction and you deserve to have capital and you give people a good deal, um, money is fungible. Yeah. You can get it wherever. 
And so, you know, I think some people are just not good at selling their own product. They might have a good idea and good everything, but some people just don't do, do as good one-on-one convincing people. So you should ask yourself, is that the way, is that right or wrong? And why, what, what people realize (laughs) as investors is the same skill set and muscles that you are going to use as a fundraiser are the same ones you're going to use to go sell new employees and customers and partners. And if you can't sell me, somebody who is made a bunch of money in the stock market or oil or whatever, that you have a good deal, how the heck are you going to get somebody to pay you money? Yeah. Like, so that there is logic to that thing. Yeah. Like maybe if you can't sell your idea, maybe you shouldn't be starting a company. That was just the meanest, nicest thing I've ever said. No, so. I think that's fair. I mean, but yeah. you do hear horror stories of founders that are, you know, complete assholes who go on to, you know, found, you know, great successful companies. Oh, so, you can be an asshole. Yeah. You can be an asshole and be good. Those, it's not mutually exclusive being an asshole and, and being be able to raise money. It's also themselves. not mutually exclusive. Yeah. You could be nice and raise money. Yeah. Um, but you have to be able to sell a vision. You have to be able to sell a plan. You have to be able to inspire confidence in other people because those are things you have to do both externally and internally to build a business. Um, if, if, if you were all-knowing and all-able, what would be the, you know, the three things you would do in San Antonio to make us a more attractive environment for higher-paying jobs? Yeah, I mean... Is this a wave magic wand thing or this yeah, is a change? wave magic wand thing. Yeah. Oh, I would figure out how, I mean, if I could wave a magic wand, I would have a hundred people that are startup founders that are really capable here running around with pitch decks and yeah. trying to raise money and build businesses. So um, get the entrepreneurs here. Yeah. So that's number one kind of big challenge. Number two, you know, I think we should make some hard decisions about how to make San Antonio a more fun place to live for people that mm. have choices. So okay. that means like, you know, getting rid of some of these dumb parking requirements that we have that make it so hard to build high density stuff, um, make it so it's easier to build stuff in San Antonio. You look at the permitting process and it's just unbelievable how slow it is to, mm. to build things. And that's because COVID, but also because these departments are overwhelmed and being asked yeah. to capture all the fees that they can. And the number three, like, you know, I think that um, increasing like the focus on more university and more educational type opportunities in San Antonio is, is really a good thing. You know, we have a, we have Trinity, which is really an amazing school. And if you think about it, it has changed San Antonio because there's a direct line from Trinity to the Rackspace founders yeah. to, you know, Graham and Morris, like finding those guys in a, in a building. And then it's transformed the city yeah. because I can draw a straight line all the way back to Graham, Geekdom, and then Rackspace and Trinity. Yeah. It's probably why I still live here. Huh. And so I couldn't live this life I'm living now without them. So how do we have and attract more of those Trinity level kids? I mean, I would love for Trinity to be five times the size it is right yeah. now. Nobody over there is interested in this idea, by the way. This is, <laughs> this is why Where would they put them? Yeah. Who cares? Build some buildings. I don't know. What's the big deal? Put them in some of the downtown buildings. All but, right. But how do we attract more of those type of folks to, to, yes, we're bringing in the numbers of people, but how do we bring in more of those people who are the real kind of one to five to 10 percenters who are going to have an outside impact on the community? Yeah. Because they're just those people, right? There's a barbell distribution of who really brings kind of the most to a community. How do we attract more of those people through a combination of those things that I just laid out? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, uh, we were talking off record. I'm become really good friends with a Trinity professor. And one day he just sort of walked through like all the Trinity success stories in the mm-hmm. city who've stayed here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was pretty shocking to me. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but we do have UTSA. That's now a, a higher um, research facility. It's growing and getting better. Code up is providing educational sure. opportunities. So it seems like on the educational side, 
you you can actually walk out and see those changes. Right. I mean, you can go to Texas A and M, you know, which is now going to serve a completely underserved hundreds of thousands of people, right. you know, those kind of things. And there are some one in five percenters in there that just never had the yeah. opportunity before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but we still have the situation where, I mean, I've watched over the past decade, you know, young people who had a choice to go to that were super high performers. They yeah. went to Rice or, um, you know, MIT or Yale. I mean, these are some of the, the brightest of the yeah. brightest, right? And watch and see who comes back. And they don't. Yeah. They don't. Um, and we're, so we're exporting those people, but we're not importing them. And we're not creating them here. So, yeah. like, what are we going to, how do we solve for kind of having a really good distribution that reflects the entire part of society? Because right now we're losing those people who are up creating the next Dell computer or the next Rackspace. Like, they're they're not being attracted here right now. Are there, do you run into many people with sort of your passion about building these around San Antonio? Uh, no. What about from, what about, <laughs> from, our, it. What about from our elected standpoint? Uh, I don't spend much time working in that. No? It doesn't give me any joy. Then none of them call you or tweet you? No. Oh. <laughs> That's fine. All right. <laughs> well, even like Graham, right, is is a New Braunfels guy. Uh, he's amazing. Yeah, but he, yeah. he doesn't even live in San Antonio, right? Uh, well, I last I know, he did I, not. He may have moved to San Antonio. I don't know. I know he's got all that going on. But, you know, some of the people that are even big here don't even live here. Uh, some of them moved back. Like, you know, Randy Smith is here now and... And folks like that. And one, one of the big Rackspace guys, the one that married uh, Wendy Davis and moved to Austin? Uh, yes, because you want to know why? Yeah. Because <laughs> all of his kids moved to Austin. Oh, well, fair <laughs> enough. But we do have even like sort of the older like executive types that have done great things here. We, we have some of that drain oh, yeah. as well. I mean, you've got, I mean, there's, there's the, the people, if you look at the big successes in tech in San Antonio, in the past decade, it's the people that wanted to be here and decided to create things here. Okay. So that's interesting, right? Yeah. Like you you look at Scaleworks downtown, which is a huge success with Lou Mormon, former president of Rackspace. Like okay. he wanted to be here and he's decided he's going to build something here. Yeah. The Pathwire guys, so Will Conway and them. So I talked about them. One of the fastest growing software companies just sold for almost $2 billion. Like decided to do that in San Antonio, decided to be downtown. Code up. We were here first, decided we wanted to keep living here. Yeah. And we built a business here. Jungle Disc, Brett Piott, I want to be in San Antonio. So there's kind of this thematic thing. Like once you get highly capable people that want to be in San Antonio, you know, magic can happen. Well, it sounds like a lot of them spun off a rack space. Yeah, and there's rack space as a hub there. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully some of those new rack space, you know, babies will create more people that want to stay here and build those out. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so your website is what? Uh, Girdly.com. G-I-R-D-L-E-Y. Uh -huh. And your Twitter handle? At Girdley. And, and and you really try to sort of, it sounds like, you don't take hard positions, but you kind of, tr you address economic issues, you address small business issues, you talk San Antonio. It's 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 not one that's going to piss in it, anybody off, but I think it does a good job of kind of touching what you hold yourself out as. I mean, a, yeah. a San Antonio lover who wants to help small businesses and wants to help our city. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, for me, like Twitter... I write there for for what really is like this is my venue to kind of give back, right? And it helps yeah. me do that at scale. And one of my kind of core values, I have core values as a person, like is like always be scaling. Like how do I always be scaling the things I'm working on and myself personally? And Twitter is a forum to do that. I can write once and sure. tens of thousands or more people see it and see value from it. Yeah. And, and I do that with the understanding that if I give like that with no expectation of return, no quid pro quo, yeah. it always pays me back 10 times over and over again. So, um, 
you know, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. I really enjoy it. Well, this has been, re- you know, just getting ready for this is, was really interesting for me. And I consider myself kind of a San Antonio nor- nerd, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot about a, com- a bunch of companies I'd never heard of. So oh, cool. uh, we're right at an hour. Michael, thank you very much for doing this. Um, people should follow your Twitter, see what you're up to, because it'll be a good way to kind of learn about stuff that's not covered in the paper, that's not covered in the business journal, and just kind of, uh, I think it's encouraging for people that live here to know that that is happening, you know, kind of under our noses. Yeah, it is. Thanks for having me. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Alamo Hour. You are all what make this city so great. We hope you join us next week. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash alamohour or our website, alamohour.com. Until next time, Viva San Antonio!